0: Well, good morning. Good morning, and absolutely, if anybody has reached a point where they're saying, you know, the next step in my journey with Jesus is to investigate baptism, please, please email me. Emailing me does not mean you've signed up and that we've given you a date and a time. It means that we're going to start having a conversation about that, which we hope will lead to an opportunity to actually uh, step into the waters of baptism with you, but it begins with a conversation that we would love to have with you. Well, if you were with us last week, whether online or on-site, uh, we started a new series. A new series called Your Blueprint to New Life with Jesus. And, and this is intended to be a very practical series. We've had some other series in the past where there's a little more narrative, a little more creativity, and, and some fun that goes into it. Not that these aren't fun. But this is meant to be more practical as we talk about definitions and, and, and direction for how you yourself can experience new life with Jesus. Now, that may mean if you're a person who is here and you're just, you're you're at a stage of curiosity. You're still curious about Jesus. What difference does he make in my life? Uh, What steps would I take to experience that new life? I'm hoping that this is practically applicable to you. Also, if you are a committed follower of Christ, This is a lifelong journey of understanding and deepening that relationship. And so I do honestly believe that there's a practical application for you here as well as you see the steps on the pathway to deepen that personal relationship, but also to understand how you could even lead others to experience new life with Jesus. And this is critical to us as a church because, as we talked last week, the mission of the church is to make disciples. And if you're with us or if you want to go back and listen to that message, we defined the word disciples based upon Matthew 4.19, which is a verse that is unpacked into kind of a threefold invitation Jesus gave to Peter that simply says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And based upon that verse, we we had a definition. If you're with us or if you weren't with us, I invite you to to remember and to say this with me. A, A disciple is a person who is following Christ who is being changed by Christ, and who is committed to the mission of Christ. I felt like I said that by myself. Let's try that one more time. (laughs) A disciple is someone who is following Christ, who is being changed by Christ, and is committed to the mission of Christ. And so today, and for the weeks ahead, we're going to build upon that. We're going to go from talking about what a disciple is to how do you be a disciple. How do you make disciples? Now, that's a, a topic that, that textbooks and volumes have been written on, so we couldn't possibly cover everything, but I do want to cover a couple of key things, four key things, in fact. And there's four steps, four words I want to unpack for us, and here they are. The, the word share, connect, minister, and disciple. Share, connect, minister, Disciple. There's your themes for the next four weeks that we're going to be talking about. And as we look at each of these individually each week, we're going to break them down to to consider the question, you know, how did Jesus do that? How can I replicate that in my life? And how can I lead others to experience that in their lives? And so today we're going to begin with that first word, with the word share. Share. And we're going to look at examples of how Jesus did this and how he shared his life in word and in deed. Because as his disciples today, we also are to share our lives with others too. And eventually, as we share our lives with other people, it leads us to the point where we can share, not just through actions but through words, the good news about Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and can do for them. Now, as I say that, some of you are probably thinking, "Uh uh-oh, this is a message on evangelism. That's where this is going, and that's got negative connotations to it. (laughs) Because a lot of people have an understanding of evangelism, but there's these negative associations with it. Because we automatically think that this leads to awkward conversations with people who are our friends, or we're afraid will no longer be our friends. Or, or we think about negative connotations, for example, of that somebody who, who, who knocks on your door uninvited, and when you open the door, they ask you these challenging, confrontational questions about where you're going to spend your eternal destiny. Well, I can make you this promise. That's not what we're going to talk about today. We're not going to use that word, because uh, I know that it has these negative aspects with it. We have it in, in my own story, my own family story, actually. I remember when I was a little guy. Uh, And my sister was probably about, about 10 or 11 years old. And we were home by ourselves after school. And some of these people who go door to door came knocking on the door. And when she answered the door, they started asking her questions and wanting to give her literature upon their particular view of faith. Now remember, she's about 11 years old at this time. And at the time, they didn't give it out. They actually sold these little booklets. And this little booklet was $2. And my sister, thinking that there's no distinction between these different beliefs about God, thought, well, that'd be a nice book to have. And so she went and she paid the $2 and she took the book. Now, when mom and dad got home, they were furious that these people would try to speak to like an 11-year-old about such things, yet alone sell their wares to an 11-year-old. But the anger turned to laughter when they found out that she had actually gone to dad's change jar and counted out 200 pennies. to them. And, she, and she paid them in pennies. So, anywho. Uh, we're going to talk about something different today. Not that. We're going to talk about, I'm going to encourage you to consider sharing, intentionally sharing your life with others. But to do so in a way that reveals God's love to them through word and through deed. You see, this is part of the Great Commission. We talked a bit about the Great Commission last week, where we're told that the the mission of the church is to make disciples. But we can go back a couple words earlier where it says go and make disciples. Now, that word go before disciples doesn't mean go on a missions trip, it doesn't mean go to a specific event, it doesn't mean go to church, it doesn't mean go to a particular time and place. If you can, I'll save you the Greek lesson, if you can just trust my geeky Greek, the word go here is conveying a continuous action, an action that's already happened, that is continuing to happen, and that will happen in the future. So the idea, go and make disciples, can also be understood as, as you are going along in life, wherever life takes you, to whoever you encounter, whatever places you come across, with work, school, recreation, wherever you spend your time and play, as you are going along in life, disciple. Everywhere you go, everyone you meet, share your life with them so they have the opportunity to experience new life in Jesus. Now, to help us understand this a bit more, how Jesus did this and how we can replicate in our own lives and even lead others to do this, I want to actually offer you a more technical definition, a just technical description of what this is. And, And consider the following suggestion, that a follower of Jesus Christ is to incarnate Jesus into a lost and hurting world and then invite people to respond to him. That followers of Jesus Christ are to incarnate Christ into a lost and hurting world and then invite people to respond to him. Now, what does this mean to incarnate Jesus into the world? Well, first let's clarify that word incarnate. Uh, You probably have come across this before. uh, If you've been around the Church of Theology at all, where we talk about the incarnation, which is a central doctrine of the Christian faith that refers to God putting on flesh. And, and that we understand to be Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, who, who came down to put on flesh and blood to become fully human. In John's Gospel, where he writes the story of Jesus, he begins his Gospel by saying this in John chapter 1, verse 14, that the Word, named for Jesus, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, now, when this happened, Jesus did not cease to be God. He added the human nature to his divine nature. You see, the two were not mutually exclusive, and this is important to understand. We talk about this at Christmas time. We're coming, it's, it's past October now, so we can start talking Christmas a little bit. This is the word we use at Christmas, Emmanuel, the idea of God with us, Jesus born of flesh and spirit. And after living and experiencing everything in a human life that we have to go through, from from physical limitations and aches and pains to to thoughts that need to be taken captive to to emotions that want to hijack our actions, experiencing everything that we as humans experience for 33 years, Jesus then died upon the cross for our sins and rose victorious, signaling his victory over sin and death. Now here's where the two natures become important. Because he was fully human, he was able to represent humanity and to represent our sin. Because he was fully God, he was worthy to be the only atonement for our sin, which is why in Christ alone our hope is found, because there is no other who can be fully human and fully God and represent both God and man and be reconciliation between those two. But in that act all people were then invited to become identified with his victory and to be brought into that relationship with God. Why did God do this? The simple answer is because of love. Because of his love for people and because of his desire for all people to enter into an eternal relationship with him. So John 3:16 is all about this idea of, of the incarnation opening the way for all people to experience new life, eternal life with Jesus. John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but would have eternal life. Jesus, the incarnation of God, God in flesh, God's truth, grace and love in flesh opened the way for all of us to experience new life in him. And he did it because he was inspired by love for God and his love for lost people. Now, when people, when we truly seek to follow Jesus, doesn't it therefore stand to reason that we would do what he did, that we would be imitators of what he did and of who he is? This is what Ephesians 5 verses 1 and 2 talks about. When it says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Beloved children, those who have already accepted the forgiveness of Christ and become and been declared children of God. Therefore, be imitators of God because you've experienced it. And how do you be imitators? You walk in love. You walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us. You see, love is the hallmark of people who know Jesus Christ. At least it's supposed to be. It's what our follow- his followers are supposed to be known for. Love to the point where when we look at the world around us, whether it be our neighbors, our relatives, our coworkers, as we look at the world around us, that we then ask ourselves, how does God want me to enter into their lives to share his love with them? How does he want me to enter into their lives to share his love with them? How does he want me to incarnate? How does he want me to put flesh on his love in their lives? I can suggest to you that it begins by caring for the brokenness that exists within other people, regardless of who they are, regardless of what that brokenness looks like. Caring about the brokenness, seeing the lostness of those who, who do not have Jesus in their lives. But then to authentically share our lives with them so that they can see and hear God's love through us. A very practical way that I've, I've seen this, kind of been taught and instructed in this is, is when it comes to uh, like hospital visitations. And I think I've shared this about maybe a year and a half ago. Where where one of the the methods that I've encountered and that was encouraged to use is that as I go to do a hospital visitation, I'm walking into a place of, of brokenness, you know, metaphorically and literally at times. And as I walk up to the door, I put my hand on the doorknob and I remind myself of the phrase, in this room, I represent the presence of God. That is my purpose for being in that room. As I walk into that room, I represent the presence of God. And as I visit with people and I pray with them, it's a blessed experience for the two of us, but it is not uncommon for their roommate to overhear what's going on, because those curtains are not very thick. But then to ask me to come talk and pray with them before I leave, because they're alone, isolated, and broken. And there's something in them that's broken that says that that's something. uh, Jesus. What is it about Jesus that addresses that need? And they call me over to pray for them. There's one time that this happened. I was waiting for somebody to get back from some tests. And I was just sitting in a chair and kind of reading some email. And I looked up and a gentleman had sat down across the room from me. And I looked up and kind of did the, you know, the guy smile. But he was staring at me. And in the glimpse I looked at him, he was ghostly white. And I could tell in, just in, in a second that he was riddled with fear inside his body. And he didn't stop looking at me. He barely even blinked. And so I looked up at him again. And he didn't say hello, there was no niceties. He just simply looked at me and he said, they just told me my body is full of blood clots and if one lets go, I could die any minute. There was this brokenness and this fear within him. But in that moment, I had the opportunity to represent the peace and the presence of the love of Christ in his life. I don't know how the story ended, but I do know in that moment, he felt the peace and presence of Jesus in his life. And I was able to incarnate God's love to this man. Here's the thing, folks. You don't have to be a pastor to do that. You just simply have to ask yourself the question, what rooms, what homes, what offices, what, what places do I go to and frequent where I have the opportunity to represent God's love to these people? To look around the room and say, how does God want me to enter into these people's lives to share his love with them? To incarnate Jesus' love. That's how we incarnate Jesus' love so people can respond to his invitation to follow him. You see, loving relationships are the bridges to sharing the good news of Jesus Christ into people's lives. And we see Jesus doing this all the time. We could, we could flip through the pages of the Gospels and we would see numerous stories where Jesus entered into these loving, caring moments that opened the doors for him to share words of truth that the people needed to hear. So often he would encounter them and they would encounter his love and that opened those doors for transformation One of the examples I thought of this week is a story found in Luke chapter 19, a story when Jesus encounters a man named Zacchaeus. So, if you're not familiar with the story, Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. Now, tax collectors of that time were were just hated and despised. Not only because they collected taxes, but typically these were Jewish people who were looked at upon as they had betrayed their own people because they were working for Rome to collect money. They were the mediaries between the Jewish people and the Roman government to collect taxes, and so they were looked upon as people who had betrayed the nation, people who were in a position of power and corruption. And they were just cast aside. Now Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. That means that he, he's the one giving the orders for how much taxes to collect. And he's taking a commission off of what's already taken. And he is, as much as the tax collector's despise. he's a step above. Zacchaeus. But there's something in him that leads to this curiosity about Jesus. There's just something about Jesus that he's know, that he knows and has heard about. And when he finds out that Jesus is coming through town, he just this brokenness inside him just wants to encounter Jesus but there's a problem and you might be able to relate to the problem if you've ever shown up late to a concert or if you've ever shown up halfway through a parade and and you want to push through to the front so that you can see it's hard enough to do that when people like you but when you're Zacchaeus there's no chance that you're pushing through to the front but he had a second problem Because he's relegated to the back of the crowd and, and how can we explain the second problem? Well, Let's put it this way. If our Zach, our six foot six Zach was at the back of the crowd he could probably see over their heads and be just fine. But as the children's song goes Zacchaeus was a wee little man and a wee little man was he. He had to climb a sycamore tree because of the Lord he wanted to see. And so he climbed that tree to peer down and see the Lord. Now Jesus was walking by and spots him. Amongst the multitudes, he stops and he looks up and he goes, Zacchaeus, I must, I must eat at your house tonight. Jesus stops and sees who the others have turned a blind eye to. And Zacchaeus comes down and welcomes Jesus into his home. And as they have dinner together and they share in this moment of hospitality, which in that culture is is an incredibly intimate thing to do. It says to people at the party, you have value. I care about you. We are equals. And people outside were scoffing. What kind of rabbi eats with a guy like Zacchaeus? He should know better if he's a true rabbi. But, But Jesus didn't care what they thought. Because he knew there was more to Zacchaeus than just the sin that these people were surfacing. Jesus sat there sharing a meal with him, basically saying to him, I see you. I value you. I know you. I have something better for you. And we're not told what they discussed over dinner, but we are told that they had dinner and that this, that this hated outcast man had an encounter with Jesus with the incarnation of God's love and it changed him. See, he already knew the brokenness that existed inside of him. That drew him to reach out to encounter Jesus. But now that he had encountered it, he was becoming aware of the brokenness he had caused of the awareness of the sins that he had caused to others and against God. And so he springs to his feet, and he declares to everybody that he wants to confess these things, he wants to make right the wrongs. And he goes, "If, if I've cheated anybody, let me start that over, all of you that I've cheated, I'll pay back four times as much, which is significantly more than was required by the law. And then he starts to see with the eyes and he starts to see with the heart of God. And as he sees the need of the poor around him, just as in the Grinch story where his heart grew three sizes, he declares, I will give a half of my possessions to the poor. And this wee little man of stature becomes a giant because his heart was changed by Jesus. Jesus. Who stands with him, fully endorsing what he had just declared by saying, Today salvation has come to this house. And I imagine as Jesus puts his arm around Zacchaeus, he says, This is exactly the reason for which I put on flesh. For the Son of Man did not come to seek, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's exactly what we see in that situation. And folks, if we have eyes to see, these loving relationships that can exist all around us, they are the bridges by which we can incarnate the grace, truth, and love of Jesus Christ. Because God has a mission for all of us followers. And that mission is to share their lives with others in a way that points them to new life with Jesus. Remember, as you are going along in life, let Jesus be seen through your life as you make disciples. It doesn't require the office of a pastor doesn't require a special short-term missions trip. doesn't revival re- require a tent revival meeting. It simply requires us to have eyes and hearts to see the lost and hurting people of our world. And we don't have to often look very far. Often we only have to look as far as our primary relationships. People that you spend time around. People in your neighborhood. People at work people at play, people where you spend your time. Is it possible that God has placed them in your life for a reason? He's placed them in your life where you can naturally invest, naturally push in and build that relationship and communicate to them God loves you and is practically demonstrate his love as you share your life. And you see, in Jesus' final teaching, this is what he told his disciples to be defined by He decreed that love should be what disciples are known for. He says in John 13, a new command I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, as I have set the example beforehand, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, Jesus was addressing this primarily to his disciples who were gathered in the room. And, and, and the primary application of this is to, is to have love amongst the unity of the brothers and sisters in Christ, so that there is unity and service that exists within what we come to understand as the church. But it's not limited to that. You see, because love that's lived and experienced in that fashion within that place doesn't have these walls. It it, it seeps out over the edges to where other people see it and experience it and feel it and want to be a part of it. Which is why he says, if you love each other like this, everyone will know you're my disciples. Because that love is going to pour over and they're going to encounter it and they want to know more about it. See, loving relationships is what makes the difference between people feeling like a project and feeling like it accepted as well. Have you ever thought about that? That sometimes the way we might you know, live our lives or, or, or share the truth about Jesus Christ may actually have the opposite effect as what we intended. That so some people might feel like a project. I, I think that's why there's this negative aversion to people kind of knocking on your door and these strangers asking very personal you know eternal questions it, it begs the question why why my door why why are you doing this do you actually care about me or am i just a project to you see nobody wants to feel like a project it because when it, that happens you feel like you're this this commodity in some high pressure sales game where you've got to make your spiritual quota for the month and, and i think this can happen if our only interactions with with people deal with spiritual issues In particular, the only time we ever talk to somebody is when we want to discuss where they're going wrong and how Jesus can make it right. If that's the sum total of our encounter with somebody, there's a good chance they're going to feel like a project. They're not going to feel the love. And they're going to take upon a defensive posture. Probably put walls up. While they may be kind and polite, I guarantee you will never get to the need. You will never get to the hurt that exists in their lives because they'll keep it at a distance. You see, people want to know you care before they care what you know. They want to know you care before they care what you know. They want to know that they're not just a moment in your life, that you want to share your life with them. Think about people that you would define as having loving relationships with you. It looks totally different than what I've just described. If you think about those that you have loving relationships with, you probably spend good times together. Like You, you, you have fun. You eat meals together. You, you hang out. You invite each other over or have encounters periodically at least. There, there's activity that happens within that. They might even be blessed enough to have made the cut for your cohort. You talk and share with them. You probably laugh sometimes, tell jokes to each other. But you also share the serious parts of your life. There's room to question the bigger questions of life and things about faith. These people you have loving relationships with, often they'll be able to reveal their needs or you'll even see them without having to have a word spoken and we press in to meet each other's needs. And not just the need for companionship, but but needs and concerns related to employment and health and faith and, and emotional challenges. And as this all happens... If Jesus is a part of your life, he will be made known through your life during these encounters, which will draw people to eventually ask the question, which will draw people to eventually open the door to be receptive to hear the words of truth, which is when we can share the good news of Jesus Christ. We were talking about this a little bit at a a group I was part of this week and i was hearing stories about how how one lady was was striving to just live this authentic genuine christian life in her workplace and and, and over a long story really condensed down really tightly over the last year uh, she's been able to bring coworkers into conversations and even into bible studies and church services because they watched her and then opened the door for questions which opened the way for invitations Talk to another couple who have come alongside of a neighbor who went through a tragic time a couple of years ago, and they, they befriended him. And, and to befriend him in terms of, of just spending time together and, and trying to, to meet needs in his life and build a friendship to give company and help and to talk with him. And, and he knows that they're believers. But he's been quietly resistant to the things of Jesus for a few years. But recently, there's been this heartfelt opening where they spend copious amounts of time talking about the things of God see it started where these people found out that they were cared for and then they cared about the source of where that love came from see loving relationships are the bridge to communicating the good news of Jesus Christ but we gotta keep this in mind as well is that we gotta be ready to share the good news of Jesus Christ I, I love Peter One of Jesus' first disciples, he's probably, you know, a fan. If I ask you, if I pull you, what's your favorite disciple? Peter's going to be top of the list, probably. I think it's because he's relatable. Uh, Peter says the wrong thing quite often. He's quite often not prepared, sticks his foot in his mouth, has to kind of backpedal a bit at times. And I think understanding who Peter is, it helps us understand an instruction Peter gives us. Because I I think this instruction I'm going to share with you actually comes from his own personal experience. And he says in 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord and and always be prepared, because I wasn't always prepared, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the reason for the hope you have. But, another classic Peter, do so with gentleness and kindness, not what he was always known for, but what he knows needs to exist. When it says revere Christ, That talks about making Jesus the Lord and Savior of your own life first. You need to respond to him in your own life first. Say yes to his invitation to follow. Because in that moment, you receive God's presence into your life. You receive his enabling. And in that moment of transformation that happens, you then have a hope story of the change that happened in your life. But you need to be prepared, the second part here, you need to be prepared to share that hope story. It's not enough to just have a hope story. We need to know how to share that story. And it doesn't have to be complex. It can be as simple as answering three questions. What was I like before Jesus? Who and how did God draw me to himself in Jesus? And what difference did that make in my life now? The before, the how it happened, and the after. As simple as that, you have a hope story that you can share with other people. Now at the same time, we need to be able to explain briefly the good news of Jesus Christ, of how a person enters into that, how they respond to the invitation. And before I'm done today, I'll give you an example of that. But Then the final point, he says be respectful. Why? Because people aren't projects. Because they're valued. They're to be loved unconditionally. Be gentle, be respectful. That means that even after you share your hope story, they're free to ask questions. And they're still free to say no. And even if they say no, they're still worthy of being loved. Be respectful and be gentle. As you are going along in life, let Jesus be seen through your life as we make disciples. Now if you've been around the church for a little while, and even for a short time, this may not be the first time that you're hearing some of these things. It may be the first time you've heard it from this approach or this direction, perhaps, but studies have shown that most people who are regular churchgoers understand that they have a personal responsibility to this. They have a personal responsibility to share their lives and to share their faith with other people. But, This is one of the spiritual disciplines of a disciple that has the lowest level of engagement. And that's a concern for me. It's a concern for me for two reasons. Number one, because if we are correct in believing that the overall mission of the church is to make disciples, this is a critical part of that. It's a critical part of us being successful in our mission. But secondly, it's concerning for me because I hear too many stories of people saying, you know, I was going to share but then we lost contact. I was going to, but, you know, they just never got past the driveway conversation. I was going to, but they actually passed into eternity before I could, and one that I heard one time in my life that has never left me, I was going to, but then God used another church to do it instead, because we didn't get outside the walls of our church. I also hear stories of people who sit in church, online or on site, and say, well, I was going to. I had a friend and a family share the truth of Christ with me and live it out before me, and and I knew the step, and I was going to take the step. But either I was never invited to or I just never did. And so if you find yourself in that curious category, you're still curious about the things of Christ. You know there's something too that's that he's been drawing you to himself, either through the messages online, through, through people within the church, within your community, within your friends or family, and you're in that curious stage. I want you to know you're not a project. I want you to know that just as Jesus shared a meal with Zacchaeus and they experienced this heartfelt hospitality, that's one of the values that we want our people to live out. In the world as well as we strive to cultivate a sense of belonging that will soften hearts and saturate lives because God loves you and so do we and we want to share our lives with you and if we have the opportunity to do so to establish a loving relationship with you I believe that you will also come to experience that you also come to encounter Jesus Because we here at West Meadows seek to weave Jesus into our stories so that others experience him through us. Now, if you're in that committed category where you've already made a profession of faith and you are part of the fellowship here at West Meadows, these are two of our values. Heartfelt hospitality and encountering Jesus and they fit beautifully with what I'm talking about today. Of sharing our lives for the hope that people will see Jesus in us so they can come to respond to his call into their lives so we can look at the world around us, our neighbors, our relatives, our coworkers, and ask the question, how does God want me to enter into their lives to show his love to them? And so let me just finish by saying this. If you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, may I share that with you now? You see, because God has a wonderful plan for your life. Jesus said that he has come to give life and to give it in abundance. God has a wonderful plan for everyone's life. But humanity, as we know, and, and it's hard to argue this, we've polluted ourselves with sin, with these wrong actions and choices we've made. And, and because God is perfectly holy and, and we're not, there's a separation that exists between us and God, between us and his plan for us. The Bible talks about this when it says that all people, you, me, everybody has sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God and and that sin that separates us has a consequence and the consequence is spiritual death, that, that death of that relationship, that separation. But Jesus is God's only provision for our sin as I talked about a few moments ago where Jesus came to pay the price for our sin upon the cross so that we could be forgiven of it and enter into that right relationship with God. The Bible talks about this as well when it says, for God demonstrated his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our sin and separated from God, he moved first. He sent Jesus to come pay the price for our sins. And if we place our faith in him, to receive his forgiveness and to enter into his plan for our lives, the Bible is true in saying that all who will receive him all who will believe in his name become a child of God. And that can happen for all of us. If you've encountered Jesus in the past or maybe just in this moment right now, do not wait. Respond to his call when he says, follow me. And if that's where you are in your life right now, I invite you to join me in a word of prayer. And you can pray these words with me and say, God, I know that I have sinned against you. And I deserve punishment for that. But I thank you that Jesus took that punishment upon himself. And through faith, I believe I can be forgiven of my sin. I place my trust in you. I thank you for hearing my prayer. I thank you for your grace and for your love and for your forgiveness. Jesus, you gave your life for me. I now give mine to you. Lord, I also pray for those of us who are gathered here who have made that profession of faith in the past. And know that there are those in our lives who have never prayed those words. God, may we see that brokenness. May we see that lostness. And in love, Lord, in love, may we enter into these loving relationships to demonstrate, to to put flesh on your love into these people's lives. That they would see you in us. And that the spirit that is working in the mix of that would draw them to ask the question, why? Why are you like that? Which opens the door for us to tell them, because Jesus is, and he loves you too. Has a great plan for your life. Use this powerfully these days, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name.